1: Welcome everybody, welcome back to Conspira Normal, and uh, Sir Fiel is is here, back with me this week. Welcome back, Sir Fiel. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Sir had to take a little break, like we all do at some sometimes, but um, this week, we've got one of our favorite people, been uh, on the show quite a few times over the last few years, and... Uh, has been a part of was a part of strange realities last year and a part of strange realities in twenty twenty and will be again and coming up here on march twenty fifth we will be doing a uh our next presentation series with this person mr david Metcalf and we will be talking about star children and psychic futures and that's uh, right david when you told me the title i was like that's perfect, <laughs> yeah. and uh, you guys can uh, see that uh, awesome graphic done by our buddy Phil that uh, got the uh, font approval from Mister Betcalf here just the other day. Yeah,
2: I love the font that that <laughs> it it screams Star Children and Psychic Futures. It's perfect.
1: Yeah, the Star Child font. Yes, it does. So that 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 was completely a totally um, completely totally inadvertent. But uh, no, it wasn't. It was a cosmic synchronicity it was a cosmic synchronicity yes he was guided yes and uh so we will be we'll be talking a little bit more about that a little later um talking about what uh, david is going to be talking about on the 25th and we're really excited to have him and we'll talk about how you guys can tune in to see that but uh welcome back to Conspiracy normal david thanks yeah i appreciate it it's yeah, always man.
2: fun to, to talk with you guys and explore the uh, the world around us, the world of weird.
1: Yeah, man, it, it it is a weird world indeed. And we understand that you just got back a couple of days ago from a an interesting conference called Archives of the Impossible. And you know, we just start off tonight talking about that because apparently this was uh, quite one of the one of those like life changing conferences for you.
2: Yeah, prior to going, I was calling it the Met Gala of the Weird. Um, it was set up by Dr. Jeffrey Kripal at Rice University um, to celebrate the opening of their Archives of the Impossible, which um, it's, a, it's a new... I mean, it's, been, it's been kind of building. They actually tried to hold it a couple of years ago, but then COVID happened. Um, the, they wanted to hold an opening conference, But the archives in the impossible hold Jacques Vallée's papers. The uh, original letters that Whitley Strieber received after writing communion. So they're called the communion letters. There's a a book that Ann and Whitley Strieber put together that kind of contains some of them. But this is the um, the full set of letters that he had. And I think there's some other stuff in there as well. They've got Richard Haynes holdings. Richard Haynes um, formed uh, NARCAP, which was a group that was looking at pilot encounters with UFOs and kind of recording those and liaisoning with the FAA. So they have his papers. They have um, some of the original Stargate remote viewing programs documentation from Ed May, who was the Stargate director uh, for a long time, uh, long space of the program. Um, they have Stanley, some of Stanley Krippner's papers, Stanley Krippner ran the Maimonides dream lab experiments, um, up in New York and, um, has, he's been a long, long time figure in the field of consciousness studies and parapsychology and transpersonal psychology, um, doing a lot of research with different, uh, traditional practitioners in that. And, um, kind of like a, a mix of psychology and anthropology and ethnography, um, they have Larry Bryant's collection there, which is Larry Bryant was a right. longtime uh, kind of UFO guy that had a, a large collection of documentation from conferences and, and MUFON and that. Um, he may have even been a MUFON director. I'm not really familiar with Bryant too much. Um, they have Stuart Alexander's, who is a physical medium. Uh, they have his collection there, uh, which was donated by Leslie Kane. Um, they have Brenda Densler, who wrote *Lure of the Edge* about scholar, you know, sort of scholars and scientists encountering the UFO topic. Um, she'd given her uh, archives to Diana Pasolka, who then donated them to Rice. Um, so it's just this huge collection of, and I, I may even be missing some of the stuff they have there, but going to just continue listing things they have, but they've, so it's a huge collection that they have. Um, so this conference was the opening, you know, the official kind of like celebration of this, this collection. Um, and it was an opportunity to bring, you know, a lot of the people who had donated together along with other people in the field to sort of discuss, you know, where, where we're going from here, um, under, kind of the auspices of the work that Jeff Kripal has been doing for a couple decades now in terms of, you know, sort of trying to re-examine, ask better questions um, and get more serious attention to kind of the topics that we all love. Um, And it was just a really, really great event. Jeff is, is a fantastic curator of people. So he did an amazing job. He and his uh, team of grad students um, and everyone else who worked on this did just a great job of bringing together an awesome group of people um, to kind of meet and discuss things. And, you know, he wasn't he he kind of wanted it to be a looser format conference. So there were plenary talks which were presented papers and there were panels but the main focus was basically on people just getting to know each other and, and interacting and having a chance, you know, to kind of connect after COVID. Um, and so, you know, some people like Eric Wargo was there. Um, love hanging out with Eric, any chance I can get. So, you know, it was great just to kind of walk around with uh, the Sherlock Holmes of retro causality, um, you know, enjoy some time with him. Mike Clelland was there. Um, oh, was he?
1: Oh, wow. Yeah.
2: He didn't present, but he was, uh-huh. He was there um, the first time that I've met him and really had a chance to chat with him, not too extensively, but, um, you know, meet with him and, and talk. Whitley Strieber was there. He gave a, a plenary talk, um, you know, and it was just a chance because of the COVID restrictions that are still in place um, at Rice. It was a smaller group. It wasn't probably as large as it could have been, but I think they said right. that they had close to like 1,500 signups for the Zoom. Um, wow, you know, wow. Which working at a university, I know that that they were both elated by that and completely terrified of the possibilities for that going terribly wrong, you know? Uh Um, But it was just, it was an awesome weekend. I met, um, I actually just did a a live um, broadcast earlier today with Jay King and uh, Sean from Witness Citizen. Um, Jay King is the co founder of the Experiencer Group. Uh, which was set up by him and Stuart Davis and a couple of other people. Stuart Davis is a, an artist and musician um, that uh, he's had a lot of mantid encounters that he talks about. Um, and Jay King is, is a co-founder and he's an experiencer as well, but they've set up this kind of network group for, for people who have experiences to kind of get together and talk and, and that. And he was there with, uh, he said, I think 15 people or so from the group. Uh, came, and Jay was actually on a panel with me, um, which is the first time that we've met and talked, and um, even, you know, I haven't really even talked to him online or anything, but uh, it was just awesome, like, to be able to just, you know, meet new people, talk to people. Um, I got a chance to meet Paul Smith for the first time in person. We've chatted a bit online. He's one of the Army remote viewers um, that was trained under Ingo Swan, and I don't I think that might have been, I don't know if that was with the program or later, that he met Ingo, but Um, he had a long time relationship with Ingo Swan learning from him and that, um, yeah, so it was just really great. I got to have, you know, breakfast with Ed May, the Stargate project manager, and just talk about the current state of parapsychology and stuff. Um, hang out with Greg Bishop, uh, you know, (laughs) like we, we actually ended up rooming together to, to save rice some money. So, um, you know, just hanging out with Greg for a weekend is always great. So, yeah, it was just really powerful, um, you know, and on the end of these kind of topics and that it was refreshing after uh, so much digital and some of the tensions and that kind of stuff that can come out of, you know, sort of flame wars and and people sniping at each other online. Um, mm-hmm. It was awesome to be in such a mixed group of people, um, not all of whom agree with each other at all, um, but in a very mature sort of collegiate setting, um, you know, from, from folks like experiencers that were just in this experiencer group coming, you know, and being able to sit there with someone like Jacques Vallée or, you know, they had dinner with Whitley a couple times. So if you can imagine being an experiencer, coming to this conference and having the opportunity to sit with Whitley, who, you know, is kind of opened up that topic in 1987 with Communion, And to be able to just like, not even necessarily talk about like weird stuff, but just to have, you know, enjoy a meal with them, you know what I mean? So it was just really powerful. And that, that credit goes to Jeff and uh, the grad students that, uh, you know, helped put this on and rice, honestly, for being bold enough to, uh, to host this
1: thing. Um, No, Kripal is a, he's a professor at rice. mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. He's an assistant Dean in their uh, humanities school of humanities. Um, and obviously he's written mutants and mystics authors of the impossible the flip a bunch of books on on that uh supernatural with with whitley um you know covering this topic and really trying to broaden and deepen the conversation around these things and provide resources that was something that i realized today when i was talking about this earlier um recapping kind of with with jay about our experience was that there's so many resources in the university system that get put to you know stuff that isn't necessarily culturally viable. you know I mean you get you the the sort of like, oh, the academics are at it again feeling of mm-hmm. you know another study on something, or you know, we just learned that like if you use Kleenex when you sneeze, it catches the mucus, you know, and it's like they spend so much money on that kind of stuff. And it gets published and it's, you know, it's what it's sort of like academic trends get, get funded and people publish on this stuff. And it's just churning, you know, not totally, but a certain amount of it is just churning out stuff that doesn't matter.
3: Or just totally self-referential.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Just self-referential has nothing to do with anything. And so, you know, this conference was an opportunity to take some of those resources and turn it to this this issue with you know a lot of people may be skeptical and think that these things sit on the sidelines, but this is integral to what it means to be human. You know, I mean, like precognition and and all of these things, which I mean, we all have synchron you know, especially us and and the people that that listen to this show. Synchronicity is like a thing, you know, right? Absolutely. Um, and, and so this is, you know, this isn't like some anomalous thing. This is something that everybody lives with, deals with, asks what it is. What does it mean? That kind of stuff. And this is an opportunity to bring people together thinking, you know, and not just scholars, right? Like not just academics, but regular people like in the experiencer group, mm-hmm. professionals, you know, um, scientists, humanity scholars, the um, poets, artists, you know, and bring all of those people together and start to have those conversations, which is just, you know, I haven't, I've have not, you know, I've been to a parapsychological association conference. I've been to UFO conferences. I've been to, you know, different things and they all have a different flavor, but this one being in person, and it may have just be also like the, the post COVID shock, right? Like of being in person with a bunch of different people in that, but, um, it was just really focused and really powerful and able to drive conversations, which I think is just, you know, is something that's needed. And then that, you know, I got back from this conference and was like, man, like, how am I going to like crash land this plane now? Like I've been, you know, at rice, like hanging out with like, you know, breakfast with Valet, going go into here, like Diana, give a talk, you know, and then like, you know, spend some like buddy time with Jeff cripple, you know, like go hang out with like, um, you know uh there's different people in that, so where do you go from there, and you know, so, um, but when I got back, what I realized was that having spent so long in the digital world with which a lot of these people don't right, like Jeff's not on Twitter and doing that kind of stuff, that's not his deal. He's an assistant dean and he's not interested in being the the Twitter guy, um, but it was an opportunity to bring these conversations into social media to some extent and to also use the kind of like high that I was on from this conference to continue that with everybody I already know. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, and continue and like start to build those bridges and start to build that conversation. Cause the thing is, it's like with Rice doing this, we all have an opportunity now to do this at at such a higher level. Right. Like um, Jay brought up the fact that somebody called Jeff Captain America's shield because he is the assistant Dean in the school of humanities at Rice right? Which is like just under Ivy league. And he says, it's okay to talk about this stuff, right? You've got Gary Nolan at Stanford. He says, it's okay to talk about this stuff. You know, you've got all of these different people that are, are dealing with this thing and not, not saying that it's okay to be stupid about it, or it's okay to just like, you know, run into some sort of like pastel new age delusion. Right. But that it's okay to talk about our experiences, it's okay to deal with this, which I think we all already kind of knew. And I mean, obviously conspiracy normal, like, it's not like, it's not like this is some hidden secret. Right. But like to take that, um, that empowerment and sort of, you know, start to start to really push it.
3: Well, and honestly, the academic world might be one of the only parts of society that largely doesn't know that it's okay yet to talk talk about yeah. these things
2: yeah exactly yeah and they have so many resources and so many tools there were there any
1: media presence there covering this And
2: uh, no no and that's i mean because they don't they i mean like so the media coverage was literally like i guess if if my like weird social mediation is media like i would have been the media there there were doc there were um documentary like people there like the um man i'm gonna forget his name because i literally just met him um, the guy who did love and saucers was there okay let me find his name because
1: i feel like a jerk because i did i Are you talking about the guy who directed the film or the guy who yeah. uh, he was yeah. yeah
2: brad abrams yeah brad abrams was there um
1: it's a great documentary and, by the way it's yeah it's a fantastic very, very well very well done
2: yeah and he had, he sat down um you know and started talking and I wasn't really clear on like who he was. And then he mentioned Love and Saucers. And I was like, yep. oh man, like that was a fantastic documentary. Like that was really good. But And that's the kind of thing too, is like you're sitting there and like somebody comes up and is like, oh, hey, like, you know, and you start to talk and then you realize, oh, this guy directed Love and Saucers. Like, that's awesome. You know, and um, because it was so laid back, you know, I mean, it was just so um you know again because i think in part because of the fact of covid restrictions meant that it was a smaller group of people mostly like people who were speaking or who you you know already had some idea of who who was there you know um but you know discovering people talking to people afterwards you know sort of building these connections um which i think can really like amp up you know what everybody is doing you know i'm gonna be um my friend tex crawford who's a a folk artist here in the athens area athens georgia um he and i this year i think in october is when we've got it scheduled for are going to be putting on an art exhibit in the athens clark county library um you know he had that when we first started planning it he was like we can probably get a better venue and i was like no i want it at the community library like i want it, like i want to do it at the community library like i don't people. want like yeah with people i don't want some like you know, like venue, venue, like I want the library, like that's what I want. Um, But going to this archive, you know, and thinking about like, oh, is it possible to maybe get some scans of the communion letter drawings, right? Like not the people's names, not like any information like that, but just their drawings about their experience, you know, and then be able to put that alongside some of the folk artists that we're bringing in and um, outsider artists and that. Um, you know, to, to just, to, to build these bridges and to blend yeah. this stuff, you know, cause it's, it's all about these experiences, these experiences that we're having with being human mm-hmm. in this world, you know? And it's like, I don't know. And so, yeah, it was just obviously like, I could just rant for a long time on this conference, but it was very, uh, it's very powerful. Very nice. That's awesome. And, and, it, and honestly, it, it, all the things that you, you guys do on this podcast or, um, is it even a podcast? I think you've gone transmedia with uh, with strange realities and all the rest of it. Here with your uh, with your empire, all the things you guys with <laughs> yes. your our empire. My, nice media empire, the strange reality media empire. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, it, it, this was kind of a, a a justification of that. You know, everything Greg's done in terms of Radio Mysterioso and that, because um, you all stand outside of a lot of what's going on. I don't. You guys aren't really like trend jumpers you know like you're doing your own thing you're developing it you're developing these conversations you want to have a conversation you know about this stuff like you don't want to just like push some mm-hmm. agenda on it you know and right. i think that that's what came out this weekend was just like man everything right. that all of us have been doing is getting somewhere you know well, and it's it is meaningful
1: let's talk a little bit more about it um you know i'd like to know who like your favorite speakers were what who impressed you the most um was dr finley there by any chance did he speak
2: yeah absolutely he didn't um he uh he did not speak because he had to he had to actually leave in between and come back um for prior engagement but he was there which you know again like just being able to like go somewhere and like steven's there like i love Stephen finley and like if I if you, if I can be in the same room with him, like that's awesome, you know. And having a chance to just briefly chat with him and just you know share in that moment, um, Marcus Red was there, who uh, is a specialist in African cosmologies, um, and he's just this fantastic uh, scholar. He's done some work on in uh, the book on African esotericism, Afri- you know uh, that Stephen edited. Marcus has a piece in there on Sun Ra, and he's got a piece in there on um, Ishmael Reed, both of which are brilliant. And Marcus is another person I just love. Like, having a chance to talk to him in person, to sit down, we had dinner a couple times, be able to sit there and talk to him was awesome. Um, he does these amazing kind of uh, installation pieces on, like, billboards that feature, like, uh, African cosmological, like, myths, um that he's put up in the i believe it's the philadelphia area um but you know that that it's just awesome you know and that rice facilitated us being able to sit down and talk and like you know the whole the whole thing about academia which kind of gets lost is its whole goal is to build knowledge right and the knowledge leads to wisdom And so knowledge is arranging of facts and information and being able to make it a functional thing. And that's what academia is there to do. So when you have these people here, all of whom have different knowledge bases, all of whom have different experience bases, all of whom have different networks, right? Like, you know, connections and and all the rest of it. Um, When you put these people together, it makes everything better. It makes everything grow and that's really what this was facilitated by um in terms of like impressed like there's not a single person in all of academia i would say who can read from a piece of paper who can present a paper the way that jeff kripal can like he is like the master i told him i was like man like any opportunity to hear you read a piece of paper, like I'm there for it because he just has this way of like, his writing is, is poetic and beautiful. It's powerful. Um, and he's just got this like calm presentation. And he always starts out like, I'm going to give a formal paper, you know, and it's like disarms you like, Oh shit, we're going to sit through a formal paper and it's going to be terrible. And then he like opens the gate to a new world through his like presentation. So, um, was an awesome chance to, to be by that again. Um, in terms of like presentations, uh, that really were, were sort of groundbreaking. Um, I thought the experiencer panel, which was interesting. Um, it had some people that I wouldn't have expected on there. Um, I thought that that was really good. Annalisa Ventola. Um, who's the executive director of the Parapsychological Association. I didn't realize that she um, was actually a psi experiencer, mm-hmm. like openly, right? Like talking about like utilizing psi and experiencing Psy. Um, that was really awesome to hear, to hear her experience. Um, there was, uh, Paul Smith was on that one. Always interesting to hear his stuff. Uh, um, Ed May, during his presentation on, uh, you know, Stargate and, and psychic functioning, he, uh, actually had a slide featuring the executive ESP book by Douglas Dean, which, you know, I mean, as you guys know, that is one of my favorite, like (laughs) the executive ESP thing is like one of my favorite areas of this thing. So to see him like put that book up and be like, this is a great book. You know, um, I talked to him about it afterwards and he was like, yeah, I really wish that I could replicate some of these studies and that we could do this again, which was, that was great. I mean, just seeing uh, executive ESP, you know, writ large on a screen was amazing. I mean, honestly, like the best parts were the parts of just talking to people afterwards. And um, yeah. I got to meet, uh, you know, Klaus Vaughn, who's the, um, the head of the chair of the archives for the Unexplained in Sweden, which is just a fantastic resource. They've uploaded so many digital mm-hmm. documents. Um, Hakan and Bloomquist's uh, blog, he's one of the archivists there. His blog is just, it's so great to read. He writes a lot on the interstice of uh, theosophy and ufology um, and like esotericism and ufology. Um, he writes a lot about borderland science research associates and foundation. Uh, which is one of my favorite like historic organizations in the field um, and Mead lane and Mark Probert. So uh, it was cool to meet class cause um, I got to tell him that he was awesome. And then Didn't
3: I see that a uh, friend of the show S. miles Lewis was also on that, that panel archiving the impossible.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And he got to, he got to feature uh, the, the archives that he's put together um, which was awesome, and that see again, this is that's a perfect example, right? Smiles, Smiles is there presenting on the work that he's doing, right? And he's not, he's not an academic. He's built this thing from the ground up, mm-hmm. and he's sitting there with um, the archivist from the University of West Georgia, who has the Ingo Swan Holdings and the William Roll Holdings, William Roll was a parapsychologist from the university of West Georgia who did a lot of poltergeist studies. Yeah. Um, actually wrote a book called poltergeist. He did a lot of stuff with PK and that, um,
1: wasn't he involved with the, the, with the haunting in Georgia case, like the,
2: yeah, yeah, that's, a, yeah, yeah, that's exactly. Yeah. He, he, yeah. He, he came in on that. Yeah. Um, and then, so, so smiles is there, you know, presenting right next to Glenn, who's the archivist for, university of west georgia and Klaus, who has this mat 15 buildings for the archives for the unexplained 15 buildings like the words of stuff crazy. Right? like it's insane like i mean buildings right like not rooms buildings 15 <laughs> buildings all on the same block that they've like funded and done you know and klaus had built this thing up as well he built it up with a network of volunteers and donations and private funding and stuff so um, and then there's Smiles. Oh, and well, and also the, the archivist for Rice, um, you know, and there's Smiles, who's built this thing from the ground up, it's his passion. And Klaus was impressed with some of the things that that Smiles had been able to pull in, you know, some of the collections that he has in his thing. And And then it was also able to talk about the struggles, right? Like, because that's a perfect example of here, you've got University of West Georgia, which is a public institution, you have Uh, rice which is a private school right and the struggles that they have with maintaining stuff with holding these collections and then the the troubles that smiles has with raising rents right like because he's privately funding this thing
3: yeah in austin too which is like suffering pretty bad gentrification,
2: right it's expensive you know and you can and we you're able to see like this is these things are worth something right it's worth something for the intellectual history and the ability to, to keep this knowledge as a, as a, as a holder of this information um, and the struggles to do that, you know, and the the archivist at the university is talking about, we can't take everything in, you know, mm-hmm. like the, um, oh, and they also had uh, the, the archive from Manitoba, which has the um, Hamilton funds, which are uh, famous um, psychical research from the from Canada that has a lot of stuff on physical mediumship and that, a lot of photos and that um, some of which are featured in Shannon Taggart's book Seance. Um, they had the the lead archivist from up there talking about you know the struggles of what do you do with objects right like if you're an archive like it's easy ish. To store papers kind of but it's still a lot of space and then you've got to worry about the paper deteriorating and and all of that but what do you do when you're trying to store objects right like some of the like um the the you know there was um examples that leslie kane gave of archives in europe of some of the materialism uh, the physical mediumship stuff the materialized hands they have molds of those but like that's you know it's this fragile like plaster hand from like that
3: becomes like a museum question
2: yeah and you're you know an archive is not a museum right so like how do you and all of this stuff takes money it all takes resources it all takes interest from the public which requires the media to deal with it you know somewhat sympathetically if not you know you don't have to believe but to be sympathetic to the historical weight of this stuff Um, And that's this massive infrastructure of culture that we don't necessarily have around these topics. It's starting to be, you know, obviously there's more museums that are starting to do and galleries and that that are doing occult art shows now. But that all took work. You know, that was Pam Grossman and the folks at Morbid Anatomy, building networks of people. That was Mitch Horowitz. That was a bunch of different people working to build these networks so that the, the resources and the interest could be there so that it would eventually get to the level where a museum would be like oh okay this is worth us putting on an exhibit and you know having funding in that so you know it's just it was a really interesting kind of conversation which uh, just going back to smiles it was awesome for him to be there as you know he built this from like the ground up he built this from like discordian networks right like he mm-hmm. built this from uh this you know 90s uh you know kind of conspiracy culture almost mm-hmm. um and for him to sit at that table as an equal you know and that was what this was about because this this stuff doesn't exist in the ivory tower mm-hmm. you know it's like you said, like academia may be one of the places where it doesn't, you know, where people are still ignoring it. And that's kind of like Jeff's thing is like, that's what his book, The Flip, is about is how do we how do we flip the, the resource holders? Like, how do we get them to realize that this is an important issue through their own experiences? Right. Because there's a lot of scientists that have experiences that just can't talk about them or they don't feel comfortable talking about them or they do talk about them, but they don't put any weight to them you know, professionally. You know.
3: And something like this will, you know, hopefully help people like Smiles and, and these other archives, you know, by giving that official recognition somewhere. I wanted to comment on how, uh, as far as moving conversations forward, that's really the best way to do it is to have an archive with these different c- collections that are interrelated. If someone is doing research in something, there will be this other material around that is related that can then like expand their view of what they're actually researching.
2: Right. And Jeff actually has a term for that. He calls it collection is connection, right? So like the collection is the, is the connection and you put the, the pieces together by having them all together. And, you know, and that's something that, um, I was actually talking about earlier with Jay and Sean, um, from witness citizen. The idea that um, right there, there's this weird mediated silos around these topics, right? Like yeah, big exactly. People don't want to talk to UFO people. Neither one of them want to talk to psychic people. Some of that's changed. Like UFO people are now like really into out of body experiences and psychic stuff. Um, but it's it's weirdly mediated and weirdly siloed and weirdly clickish. Um, and so, how do we break that? Because we're all living in this world where people encounter Bigfoot and they also encounter a UFO and they also have precognition. And, you know, what does that mean? Right. Like, I'm not saying that like it's real or it's not real. It's just these experiences happen or they're reported. And so what does that mean? You know, and it, it doesn't help to like isolate all these things and become obsessed with one area and, you know, say everything else is, is crap, you know, and it, and there were times where it wasn't that way. And there's been researchers in the past that it wasn't that way. And the best researchers in the past didn't put up those blinds, you know, Mm -hmm. or, you know, in there's specialization and there's people that have been really good at specific areas and stayed focused on that. And that's very like helpful as long as they don't, you know, then turn the whole conversation into just this narrow lane that it, that it all has to be in. And unfortunately, despite the fact that digital communication is decentralized it's really centralized a lot of stuff and it's really like siloed off a lot of stuff because people move to their clicks it becomes an echo chamber you know and that was one of the things about this was it was kind of an opportunity to break through those echo chambers and to, to talk across lines i mean there were academics there that um you know obviously like a lot of the people that are um around kripal and are around this topic are very sympathetic to the par- you know, the paranormal, right? Like very sympathetic, um, and that may not be where the conversation goes, right? Like, there's there has to be that other side where there's not necessarily the sympathy, but, but more rigor in that. Yeah. So um, there were there were people there who didn't come from the sympathy side of academia; they came from an ethnographic side, right? Like an embedded side of studying it as, you know, sort of more, more from a, an objective frame, right? Like, um, still sympathetic to a certain extent enough to cover it maturely, but not coming from this, like, more, you know, like, they, they weren't necessarily scholar practitioners, they weren't necessarily scholar experiencers, you know, and um, there was a bit of like, where they were like, oh, okay, this is different. You know it was like being put in the the deep end of the pool with this stuff where you know because you start to see like I mean you can hear you can hear all this stuff about Whitley, right? Like you can go and cherry pick things he's written, or you can look at his his podcast and say, "Oh, he said this, he didn't say this, he's lying here, all this all the kind of stuff we see on social media and in critiques and that. But when you hang out with the guy for a weekend, right, and he doesn't change his script. You know what I mean? Like he doesn't change who he is. He says the same things that he's always said. He's not acting, you know, he wakes up tired. Like, you know what I mean? Like he's a guy, like you can't, you know, the, Mm -hmm. you know, the stuff that's been said about Diana Pasolka, like when you spend a weekend with these people, like they're no longer, you know, you can't have the same interaction with the ideas, you know, it's not like, um, you know, it's a conversation then, right? Like, it's not just, like, a weird this is right, this is wrong, these people are lying, they're not lying, they're whatever. You've got to actually deal with them as people, you know? Um, Obviously, I made that jump a long time ago. (laughs) I co-authored a piece with Diana and that, like, and, uh, you know, have have written about Whitley, so, like, I don't, you know, I'm not not on that side, but um, it's, you know, with Leslie Kane's work, Um, you know, I was not very familiar with it. I stayed away from it. It was very UFO y in the ways that I don't really like. Um, so I wasn't familiar with it. And I came out of the weekend seeing her as a human being, you know, and and that like have going into it, like I was I wasn't too sure because I'm I'm not familiar with her stuff. And um the media Leslie Kane is not necessarily something I'm interested in. Um, but as a person it's totally different. And I think mm-hmm. that was, you know, again, just that the connections that were developed there, um, I think was, was very helpful to the conversation. And I wish everybody could have that. You know, yeah. I wish the, like hardline skeptics could have just an immersive weekend with the stuff to at least come out of it and realize that these are people, not just, you know, um, faces right. in the media that can be, you know, deconstructed and weird ways.
1: Right. Yeah, it's more com- It's more complex than what they are more. It's less black and white than what they think it is. Um, you know, I, I think it's really great that someone like Kreipl and also Doctor Finley and Diana. That um, I guess she's no. She's Walsh now. I don't think she's Pasulka anymore, right? I think she's yeah. She's right.
2: It. She's so I, I actually talked to her about that because I always feel yeah. weird seeing Pasulka, but it's on her book, right. <laughs> you know. So right, it's like. Right. But, that's what people yeah. recognize her as. So um, it's become almost like her her writing name. You know, um, we'll see how that changes with the next book, or or if it changes. But um, yeah, it's a, it's a weird place when you you know when you write when you write a book and then your name changes. <laughs> yeah, got like, yeah, yeah. I, I was like, I feel awkward when I have to say this, but like in public, like nobody's nobody would know. What
3: yeah, are you going to do when you change your last name to
1: Starchild? That's right. Yeah.
2: Oh, I'll ascend. I'll be ascended. This
1: that. Star Child really Maximus uh, <laughs> Prime. I think it's excellent that Academia at least a small portion of it, especially within the religious studies community. Yeah. That they have taken an interest in this because that's really what we're dealing with is just another variety I think of religious experience. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I, you know, came to on my own from listening to all doing this podcast listening to other podcasts the reading that i've done from all the authors that i've had on and everything so you know just knowing that that this, this is something that you know this modern day form of religious experience yes is something that you know academic academics are taking a serious serious look at it's taken out of the whole sensationalist context that we see it in all the yeah. time on television and in the media. And it's a, it's a serious look at it. And I was curious as you were taught, as you were speaking about this and you were using the word psi. and a lot of this uh, conference seems to be about this contact experience. Are you equating the contact experience as a form of psi?
2: I think that's a, that's so, um, my friend Hussein Ali Agrama from University of Chicago, um, he was actually in one of the preliminary webinars, and he was supposed to come to the conference, but he wasn't able to make it. Um, in his preliminary webinar, he um, circled around something that Whitley has said a lot, um, and which actually I think Carl Sagan said as well, which is that we need better questions, you know, and that's that's one of the better questions, right? Like, one, like psi itself is an ambiguous term. It's, mm-hmm. it's kind of defined as a, it's defined as everything that it isn't, which isn't a very, it's not very, very helpful um, when you're studying something to define things in the negative. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, the, you know, you think about Valais, um, I can't remember the name of the, the paper, but he wrote that paper with um, Eric Davis, the physicist, um, which was like six factors in terms of an actual UFO encounter, right? Mm-hmm. It's got a much better name, but because it has a better name, I'm, I can't remember it offhand. Um, but the psychic aspect was one of them um, in terms of people either being activated or experiencing the, the thing through some sort of you know, telepathic communication. You think mind speak, right? Like in, in uh, cryptozoology or, or Sasquatch studies. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, there's a, there's a psychic element to it, um, you know, and that is kind of danced in, around in some of Gary Nolan and Kit Green's work with the cadet at Putnam, Putnam, however you pronounce that the the center part of the brain, um, you know, showing different, uh, developments in it, more connectivity after it, um, after experiencers have encountered a UFO, Um, or something UFO like they've encountered the phenomena um, and that connectivity tying into enhanced intuition potentially. Um, So there is, you know, there is kind of an element of contact that has this psychic, you know, I mean, um, Valet has that, I believe it's the British uh, print of the invisible college, which is called UFOs, the psychic solution. Um, I don't think it's a, a separate book, but it may be. But um, yeah, so he had that. The, one of the titles that Valet has used for his work was "UFOs: The Psychic Solution." You know, and tying it into that that kind of experience, and you know, I mean, that really. And and this is where this stuff goes to is because like consciousness studies, right? We have it as a term. People throw it around. What is consciousness? Consciousness, like the, these are all like. They're yet to be filled categories. Mm-hmm. We have these experiences, um, but the actual like no one there hasn't been the resources and people haven't been doing the actual groundwork for to to get this together on a on a wide level. Obviously, there's individual you know scholars, researchers, and whatnot. There's a ton of books out, um, but there's you know like really. Basic stuff that we need to start addressing, you know, and that that was something that Hussein was highlighting in his the web the the pre-event webinar was just we need better questions, you know, we need better questions so that we can start to really understand what we're even talking about, right. you know, um, and because and you know that's something that Diana's focused uh, in her work is our experiences are so mediated. And the more technology we have and the more, you know, the technology starts to blend with our daily life and smartphones and the whole, the whole thing that you can read a million articles complaining about. um, The more that happens, the more the, it necessitates these questions, these deeper questions about what exactly are we seeing, right? Like what exactly is this? Because, um, you know, you think Ray Palmer, right? Ray Palmer publishes yeah. the Shaver Mysteries.
3: Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, it's always been mediated, though.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so what is it, right? Like, that's, you know, and that kind of comes out of uh, where where Kripal's idea of the authors of the impossible, right? Here are these people that write this stuff almost into existence while they're studying it, right? Like, they study the phenomena, they write about the phenomena, and then suddenly the phenomena starts to occur in ways that they're writing about it. And this weird loop and this, Mm -hmm. that's this, this textuality to the phenomena. Like, what does that mean? Right. Like, what does it mean that early sci-fi stuff prior to 1947 was showing flying discs and then suddenly people are seeing flying discs after a reporter gets wrong, uses a wrong term for what Kenneth Arnold's describing, you know, and like hardline skeptics in that being like, well, it just means it doesn't, it doesn't exist and it's stupid. Like that's a weird reaction right? Like, cause it's a lot deeper than that. And it's a lot more odd that that happens than to simply say like, Oh, well, it just means that people are having a mass hallucination. Like you know, what does that mean? That's just another like meaningless and it's a defensive reaction, which Mm -hmm. means, you know, you're hitting at a core of something that's really bothersome to some people, you know? So what does that mean? Right? Like, I mean, there's so many questions to kind of dig into with that. And that's one of the, um, you know, one of the the kind of things which actually is is sort of floats around the um, Star Children and Psychic Futures talk is this moment in time in the 70s where you have Edgar Mitchell in the early 70s publishing Psychic Explorations, which is an anthology um, kind of covering the, the state of the field at the time in the early 70s with some of the same people that would go into the government psychic programs and the more official psychic studies that happened during the 70s and 80s, um, writing their kind of like theory pieces at the time and their, their applied pieces and studies and that, putting it in an anthology. And in the beginning of the anthology, in the intro, Edgar Mitchell specifically says, we're not going to look at UFOs, right? But then in 1975, Brad Steiger and John White put out an anthology, um, The Other World's other universes anthology, which I've and I've talked about this stuff before with you guys, but this this really points to kind of the question that you're asking, like the you know, contact and psi. So they put out this thing in 75 where John White is one of the co-founders of uh the Institute of Noetic Science with Edgar Mitchell, right? So suddenly, you know, early in the 70s, it's like we're not gonna look at UFOs because it would complicate the issue too much, but then John White and um Brad Steiger put together this anthology that has like Rudolf Steiner in it, it has Jacques Vallee in it, it has Timothy Leary in it, it has David Spangler from fin, uh the um the Findhorn stuff. Um, all of them writing these pieces on the the sort of um apocalyptic aspect of the UFO, of what does it represent, and really hearkening back to stuff that um people like Millen Cook who wrote in 1947 um, a piece called Son of the Sun, um, writing about this, this weird sort of what does the UFO mean in terms of like a, a new transition for humanity, right? Um, which can go in a bad direction, you know, in terms of how it's used. Obviously, there's a lot of examples of, of those kind of thoughts being like bad. But the hope in the human potential thing is that it, it leads to uh you know more peace and more um prosperity and unity and and the whole earth vision which comes out of edgar mitchell's overview effect experience and the astronauts over <laughs> cosmic
3: consciousness yeah
2: yeah, yeah. cosmic con- which which is and it's super that's again the questions right you've got in the 19th century this concept of cosmic consciousness right and it's not until they send up astronauts that look down on the earth That you really know what it is experientially right Mm -hmm. people were experiencing something that was cosmic consciousness in the 19th century but then you have people physically experiencing both the cosmic consciousness sort of you know expansion and physically being above the planet and seeing these relationships you know um and that's a massive change and we you have the change even when we sent satellites up where our perspective shifted Mm -hmm you know, in our perspective of who we are, what we're doing, what all this means. And all of it was tied to psychism and all of it was tied to psychical research and all of it within with embedded within psychical research were these narratives going forward. you think of William James uh, varieties of religious experience, right? He's talking about these peak states. He's talking about cosmic consciousness. He's talking about these mystical states, which are then physically enacted through the astronauts, through the satellites, through the rest of it. And during the space program, you've got Ingo Swann and Harold Sherman, Harold Sherman being a popularizer of ESP who published, you know, like how to, how like, how to, I forget what this, it's a bunch of books in the like fifties and sixties about utilizing ESP to better your life. Right. And so Harold Sherman and Ingo Swann do a remote viewing of Jupiter ahead of the pioneer mission to actually take photos of Jupiter and then they checked to see, you know, what in their their psychic exploration of Jupiter matched up with the photos and that. So there's this interaction between psychism, the technology, the the culture that was going on, and and all of it bleeding out into the wider culture and the public culture of how we view ourselves. You know, I mean, you think of like Gil Scott-Heron, Whitey's on the Moon, right? Like that's because there was technology that could get to the moon. It brought that whole question of where are we putting our resources? What does it mean that we've got some people walking on the moon when, you know, my sister's here like suffering, right? Like, what does this mean? And so it's, you know, it's really interesting to, to have an opportunity again, because it's kind of like these things go in like these waves, you know, um, maybe under a slightly different way like you said it's now sort of in religious studies and that you know but to have a way to start to talk about this stuff again you know and hopefully move move forward you know i mean we've got we're like (laughs) with the the russian situation and that like we're sitting on the edge of like another like world war or another like really nasty cold war which has already been kind of going for a while i mean really so you know now is like the time where it's like it's not the time to be snarking on people on Twitter. It's time to be like digging into what it means to be human and start to actually have mature conversations about, you know, and that's where for as, as goofy as the new age stuff can get and as, as, you know, flaky and white and um, you know, just kind of negative and granola. Um, granola, like all the, all the critiques you can have of the new age thing, right? Like at at the base, the idea of human potential and the idea of moving that forward and all of us exploring human potential is not a bad thing.
3: Right. And a lot of that came from the height of the Cold War when those existential questions, as we talked about before, were really apparent. And it was just about human survival, period. Right. Um, which we're still in that situation, but the consciousness is not there.
2: Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, John Mack's um, abduction research came out of groups of psychologists and uh, scientists and thinkers that were dealing with uh, existential threat of nuclear war and climate collapse. That was really where he was, you know, came into the abduction research stuff. So it, you know, I mean, it was the, the questions, you know, that we see today um, on ancient aliens and that, you know, have these, have these other sort of, uh, you know, Roots right. and 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 they can be returned to that. You're talking about Strieber, right? No, this is well. Strieber, Strieber did write like um, you know the the novels in the the 80s about climate crisis
1: and nuclear, Yeah, he he was. I mean, there is that part in communion where they show him like the nuclear explosion and they say this is your world. And but you see, he had been researching for War Day, right? At that time, yeah. So it just it kind of reflected back to him his fears and his anxieties. Yeah. Right.
2: Well, I mean, I was actually mentioning John Mack, John Mack, yeah. uh, the abduction researcher, he came out of a group sort of think, a loose knit think tank group. Um, and then that actually became a center, um, that was looking at existential risk and was looking at like, um, you know, how culture is dealing with the stress, you know, because it's an unspoken thing. Like, this stress that sort of hovers under everything, you know, especially when it's becoming less under the surface with something like what's going on in Ukraine. But I mean, it was always under, I mean, it's always there. You think about, you know, Syria, I mean, you can list off the conflicts that are constantly raging around the world. You know, it's not, um, it's never been, you know, necessarily under the rug, but I mean, that's all of those things. And that's what, you know, Jose Herrera, right. Like that's what his work is looking at is like, we don't take into account the epigenetic damage that's caused by the mediation and flood of constant violence, messaging of violence, and um you know death and mayhem and stuff that goes on globally. And as we connect. Everything into this like information structure that's constantly feeding us this stuff. Like, it's literally like it's, it's killing it, it's killing the organism, you know. I mean, it's not like it's not positive.
1: I'll tell you, yeah, Twitter, Twitter is like one of the biggest, just like it is such a cesspit. I, I mean, it. It, it really is. I mean, it's it, and it, it's 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 really I've discovered a channel for anxiety, yeah, and it makes you anxious.
2: Oh yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're going into that stuff, absolutely. I mean, that was, um, one of the, um, Mark Bacuzzi at Windbridge, he did a study on radionics. Um, he's developing a symbolic Hieronymus machine to predict the, um, the election. And so he did a study on that and it kind of tied into the idea of um, some of the work he was doing with forms, right? Where you have these uh, random number generators hooked up, you're putting an intention into the random number generator, that data is being fed into another program that then develops a visual display of that intention, right? Through the data. So you put the, you put the intention into the random number generator, it affects the random number generator that develops a data set, data set goes to a visual, right? Um or what you know whatever it is he he does these kind of like abstract uh, um, images that come out of that. so if you think about the sort of mirrored effect of okay, so if I'm putting an intention into a random number generator that's developing, you know that goes into something else, right like a radio like it's it's almost like a it's not I'm not saying there's transmissions happening right, but like whatever that function is, it's very similar to a radio, and you hear on a radio, what comes out. Right. So those images in a certain sense are carrying that information. Right. So what does that mean when on Twitter, anxiety, anger, frustration, like impotence, you know, I mean, all of that is just flooding into people's, you know, what they're putting out on the digital media. And then that's getting spread all over, you know, the globe, and hitting other people's you know weak spots and there,
3: and it's going through algorithms that are just amplifying the worst of all of that
2: yeah amplifying it focusing it pouring it into your to your mind stream you know i mean it's you know and what do yeah. we do with that right i mean that's and, I, and then and on top of all of that then you have all the the weird stuff right you get people encountering ufos and you have people encountering bigfoot and you have all this stuff so you know it's I don't know I mean how do you how do you look at all of that how do you look at the the big picture
1: you mentioning John Mack I think that he would have fit in very well with this crowd Um, because he was he was really taken as I mean I don't think he was fully understood at his time for what he was doing academically and he had just so his only outlet really was kind of like these more sensationalist radio shows like coast to coast and all this but the way he understood the phenomenon was exactly the same way. I think the Kripal understands it.
2: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And he, you know, he was, his work was brought up, um, you know, he had colleagues and stuff that, that have um, Keith Thompson is who wrote uh, angels and aliens. Right. Um, you know, he was friends with John and, and a colleague of John's Um so he, you know, um, yeah, that's definitely and that, you know, and that's kind of the thing too, like the way these people are framed, you know, again, like John Mack, like it becomes a name, it becomes a thing that you can project onto, like, well, he's an abduction researcher. Oh, he's a Harvard psychologist that looked at aliens. All of these things you talk to the Dalai Lama. I mean, like there's so many just like mimetic structures to all of these people. Who literally have like sacrificed (laughs) their careers their personal lives you know the whole thing to go out and talk about this stuff in public at a higher level you know and what do they get for it they get like crapped on even by the people who like would appreciate them you know Mm -hmm. and it's just it's really it's really strange i've seen that with diana and that where it's like what are you like what is triggered in your mind that you need to be so cruel and like strange with this stuff you know I mean so it's um yeah it was interesting this weekend not to have any of that you know I mean and again there were people there who disagreed with each other it wasn't it wasn't like the intellectually there were everyone was on the same page or something I mean there were there's definite disagreements amongst things but it doesn't have to be nasty you know it doesn't have to be yeah, because that's not what we're doing. Yeah, I mean that's not what the the hope is.
3: Yeah, we've we've seen that effect of getting people together in the physical world, uh, fostering civility. We've definitely seen that. Uh, in, uh, yeah, yeah. In the strange realities events, Th- um, there
1: was some there was some peacemaking going on. Most yeah. definitely.
3: I wanted to touch on the panel that you were a part of. is called Public Cultures and the Impossible. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that while we're while we're still on the uh, archives of the impossible?
2: yeah um I mean it was it was interesting so that panel got changed a bunch of times um, from the, initi- the initial a month or two ago when it was announced to um the uh the end when we actually gave the panel like it actually changed like the day of the beginning of the conference on who was going to be there um Stuart Davis who was one of the co-founders of the experience group, um, who had, uh, he's an artist musician I mentioned earlier. He, um, he was supposed to be there and lead the group. Prior to that, Josh Boone, um, who directed new mutants was supposed to be there. Um, both of them had things come up, so they weren't able to make the conference. So, um, Cameron Hammond or Hammond, um, ended up leading it. She's a lecturer at Rice who's written a a memoir of um, her experience coming out of evangelical Christianity and sort of finding a a wider world. Um, And um, I forget what the name of the memoir is, Um, but it's essentially about like the objectification of women in evangelical Christianity and what it was like to be in that while seeking some kind of spiritual truth um, and then coming out of that. You know, um, so she was she actually became the the leader of the panel, which was awesome. She did an amazing job of of kind of curating questions. Um, Greg Bishop presented on the UFO, the ufology tarot that um, Miguel has done the illustrations for and a group of us have kind of worked to theorize and, and to put into action. Um, he showed the the Kickstarter commercial for it, which was awesome because the music in that thing is from Massimo Teodorani, who is, uh, Susan Demeter's husband, but he's also, he's a, he's like a world-class, um, astrophysicist, Italian astrophysicist who loves, uh, Berlin school synthesizer music. And so the music in this thing was Massimo Teodorani, who later, was referenced in one of the plenary speakers as being one of the like leading scholars looking at the UFO issue and consciousness. Um, so it was great just to have like, you know, like, Oh, well, the commercial for the ufology tarot of course has like his mood music in it. Right. Um, and then there was, um, I keep, I let me find his name. That's the other thing. Like you just, you get, you got
3: a nice pamphlet there. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: This is the, yeah. Um, angelo john lewis who actually runs a networking group of professionals um it's it's like the spiritual action network or something like that um but he uh just a a really interesting guy that kind of came out of the 90s like innovation and business networking and group you know how to how to build groups how to how to create group synergy and that kind of thing um and then there was Marcus rad who I mentioned before the, does African cosmology and, uh, is just an amazing artist and filmmaker. Um, he's, he's so like, uh, so much a polymath, you know, it's hard to define like what he's doing. Cause it, it, top level, I mean, his, his scholarship's impeccable. It's awesome. Um, and then there was Jay Kane, uh, the co-founder of the, the experiencer group. Um, and Jay, uh, you know, just a super nice guy, like just incredibly like one of those people that you're like, wow, you were just a genuinely nice person, like, which is, which is awesome. So, um, it was interesting because the, the public discourses thing, um, we were all kind of there because we're in certain ways and in, in the stuff that we're doing, we're bridging what's happening in academia um and trying to bring it forward into some kind of public discourse you know um and so it was and in each of us in a different way you know so uh it was an interesting kind of different ways that that can be done you know and the question of like how to do it effectively i think was still open at the end you know how do you bring super complex ideas you know and uh, something that i brought up was um, living in rural georgia encountering people that are good Christians who go to church on Sunday, who also are completely infected with ancient aliens ideas and are now reading the book of Enoch and obsessed with the watchers and obsessed with demonic UFOs because they've been watching ancient aliens because it's such a popular TV show, you know, and having a different perspective on that, a scholarly perspective, like how do you bridge that right like how do you make the next ancient aliens but make it so that it's it's more i mean don't get me wrong like david childress you know like adventures unlimited i've got the catalog it's fun you know but like when it when it hits rural america and it becomes a fostering of weird ideas that can as we've seen as we've seen over the last few years can have massive ramifications in culture um, there's an ethical question there not necessarily for the ancient alien show but for you know the need for other venue venues to feature these ideas that aren't quite as um, uh, i don't know that they don't quite foster that level of animus in in culture you know
3: right exploitative
2: <laughs> yeah exploitative you know and again I mean like I love adventures unlimited and I love Honestly, like when, when I see something come out, um, like a UFO story, right. Like, cause there's so much of that now where it's like the government has said this or some guy in some office made a bill that did something with the UFO. I always wait until the sun publishes it or the daily mail or something like that. Cause it's so much, you know, like you're going to get the same basic information. Mm -hmm. It's going to be written much better. It's going to be weird. They're going to have a horrible picture with it everything about that for me is better. Um, But, you know, when it gets out into the public like that, and that's all you have, like that's problematic. And I think that that actually points to the problem is that when it's given to you straight, nowadays, it's awful. It seems like it's written by a computer, you know, and Mm -hmm. when it's given to you by the tabloids, you know, in the past, like you had somebody like Bob Pratt, who, who knew Jacques Vallée and like the National Enquirer for whatever other stuff they were doing, their UFO coverage is actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. It may be written a little sensationally, but there's some good stuff in there. You know, Beckley, right? Like there's some good articles in some of those Beckley things surrounded by, you know, a sort of sideshow like tabloidness, but there's still some like meat there, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and now we have the separation of just tabloid and like just boring and there's no middle. I mean, I haven't watched TV in a long time. And since the Ukraine thing happened, I started watching network news on YouTube. It's horrible. Yeah. Like the only way that anyone can think that that's okay. And that's a proper way to present news is that they've watched it like consistently, because if you go away for a while and you come back to it, that like, what is, I mean, it makes no sense. Like it's, it's like, it's horrible. It's awful. And you can see the difference by just like, going back like we actually uh you know went and looked at okay like because it was so shocking to see this went back and was like where does this where did this break like where did it go from like you could kind of think that this was a mature presentation of information to just being like this like mind jamming like nightmare feed you know and like there's actually like a point like where it starts to like just like crack and become plastic and weird and like lots of makeup and you know people that look like robots and like I mean it's it's odd. So well, what's the
3: year for that then?
2: um It was actually I believe it was the year that the blood moon stuff happened, the last blood moon, which was that was just an awesome coincidence. I happened to like realize I was like, <laughs> oh man, he was right. John Haggy was right. It right. was the blood moon prophecy. Like,
1: yeah, it, it all starts with that. Well, I wanted to point out that on your facebook page you've got a picture speaking of beliefs and this is a picture from a walmart of the aliens magazine
2: yeah yeah
1: like on the newsstand and like you know flanking the aliens magazine is is john wayne yeah and then on the other side it's the twenty twenty two walleye guide for the trade secret lures and rigs yeah right behind the aliens on the rack is guns and ammo behind that is wild west next to those two is is something about bon jovi and behind that is guns and roses that's right and then and then elvis the, so, uh, then elvis on and the other part and then behind him is cowboys and indians so got that's, all of america that's represented yeah <laughs>
2: yeah it was I, when i saw that i was like oh this is beautiful like right here we have this is this says so much
1: that is americana now, yeah. yeah i was surprised hustler wasn't on the
2: yeah right the walmart. The well, walmart. So, well at the walmart they got they have the D D handbook right next to that too and then you can get your joel Osteen. like it's just like a yeah. smorgasbord of like all of right. these like weird um weird things but the the alien that alien book really fast i'd seen this thing like a bunch of times right like i'd seen it sitting there and kind of hovering and i was always like oh that's cool that's there okay um and i hadn't you know i kind of flipped through i think the previous version of this which was called something else about ufos um ufo guide, like the ultimate ufo Guide, i think is what this same uh company was putting out last year
1: Same magazine, but like just different cover, is that what you're saying? I'm wondering. Yeah, I was actually
2: looking for that. I was actually looking for the ultimate UFO guide, but they took that out like before I could like get to it when I finally decided that I would like put put my brain to it. Yeah, I've been kind of like avoiding it. Like, I don't know if I want to actually like look at this thing. Like, I'll look at it on the shelf, but I don't know if I want to like crack it open. And I'd skimmed a little bit of it and it kind of it, came, it seemed to come from a little bit more of a skeptical sort of like, haha funny, not even as like accepting as like a Discovery Channel documentary or something like it seemed to really come from like a nasty sort yeah. of like mm-hmm. these people suck kind of way. But we're going to give you these pictures to make you like, ooh, aliens. And then like, no, actually, like there's no. So, um, so I actually took the time to look at this one that was at Walmart. And it is, it's literally a skeptical magazine, which is amazing because the cover, it looks like you're going to get like a, an ancient yeah. alien, text, you know, but no, 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 you're going to get like SETI and then like some like weird, like Mork and Mindy photos. And like, I mean, it's just like, it is like the most cynical publication that you could think of on aliens. Not even, I mean, honestly, I'd rather read Skeptical Inquirer because at least there's like some like teeth there or something this is just like sloppy wikipedia skepticism jammed with like weird like archival photos and like um stock art you know stock photos of aliens and stuff it's basically
3: Um, the the wikipedia article at the bottom of the youtube uh, yeah that you're washing <laughs> yeah. yeah
2: that's exactly what it is yeah it's the you know like fact checkers have you know like shown that this is all crap um and it, it was just weird i was like wow they went to like a lot of effort to put out something that like it wasn't because i mean like i don't know yeah it just it was odd i've seen that recently
3: a couple times in some of the most speculative shit you can imagine like I think there, I think I was watching like an actual um, scholar on the real Illuminati, like one of the leading ones, um, like talking about the actual history of Illuminati, but you know, one of the two, they had that Wikipedia article at the bottom. So I knew officially, you know, the official story, Illuminati coming from Wikipedia.
2: Yeah. Don't listen to, don't listen to the scholar. Listen to the Wikipedia.
3: But uh, I I have yet to see like what I always dream of seeing, which is like the the young version of myself like pulling at his mom's shirt in line, trying to get her to buy him the like UFO magazine, you know? Because I will volunteer. Oh, no. I'm like, ma'am, I'll I'll buy
1: that. They're for the probably kid. going for the Bon Jovi magazine. That's probably what. it is. Yeah, the Guns
2: N' Roses like it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> right. Or maybe the wall. I mean, honestly, where I'm at, like it'd be the Walleye. Uh, that would be the. Or yeah. John battle. Wayne yeah or the john wayne one Uh, and see that what what weirds me out though is that like there's obviously a market opportunity you know like there's obviously a market opportunity and this company uh centennial media that puts the ufo ones out um it's the website is literally just an email like there's no content on the website whatsoever um, the only way that you can really find out like what they've published is on like eBay or like Amazon. If you like search Centennial media and find like what the other magazines are. And I think they may have ha- they may have like ads in the back, Like there's no advertisements in these magazines, right? Like there's no outside advertising. They're one-off like made for retail. books, Yeah. Made for retail. And it seems like a totally, and I mean, it's, it's a lot of stock art, a lot of like, Um, digital archive art like you go to like getty images and like pull an image of jacques filet or something so like the cost and but and the list of contributors is fairly large which is weird so like i'm just the whole business model behind it i'm like what that's probably one of those ads you find on like craigslist or something for writers wanted (laughs) writers wanted write about an alien but i'm wondering like if there's a market for that thing right and they cost like 14 bucks You know what I mean? Like, yeah, why can't
3: there be smarter mass media representations of this stuff?
2: Right. Yeah. That's that. And for cheaper, right? Like, just do some newsprint or something, like, make it recyclable. Like, people don't care. They buy the farmer's almanac. Like, nobody, you know, I mean, only like the most pretentious person would be like, oh, these pages aren't glossy enough. You know what I mean?
1: Like, I I think that, yeah, I think things need to be a lot more intellectual because, I mean, it used to be you could buy books like that just like, these little trade back paperbacks that had a lot of information. You could buy those in, in drug stores. You could buy those at grocery stores, you know? And, and I mean, one of the most interesting things I ever saw in a grocery store, just on like one of the racks that's on like the end of the checkout counter. Mm-hmm was like the Golden Dawn, like the... (laughs) Yeah, right. It was the book of like the... It was McGregor Mather's Golden Dawn book. I'm like, (laughs) what the hell? You know, like... Where was this? This was in a Kroger in like Atlanta, like the Atlanta area. What year? Ah, man, this is probably like 2011, 2012, maybe. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe I stepped out of it, you know? I mean, you know, you never know. I had like this weird where I went into an alternate dimension inside the Kroger. And when I walked out, I was back in, in ours. You know, I don't, I don't know. It's somewhere in Lawrenceville, Georgia. That's, that's where it usually happens. Just go check, check uh, the meat prices. So you are going to be doing something for us coming up in a couple of weeks or less by the time this is out in less than two weeks on March 25th. Guys, uh, so let's talk a little bit about what you're going to be presenting. Obviously, we don't want to give away the whole shebang because this is uh, this is going to be pretty extensive. And also, uh, David, um, unlike the conference where we really pretty much, because of how many speakers we have or whatever, this is going to be, you, you're going to have a lot more time to give your presentation um, and also to take questions after. So, uh, yeah, give us a little bit of a skinny on... Star children and the psychic futures—a little little teaser for the audience. Yeah, so um,
2: 1979, 1978, um, Ingo Swan, who helped found the remote viewing project, um, which became the psychic spy program that many people are familiar with, um, called Stephen Halpern, who is the godfather of new age music. And said, I really like what you're doing, and I want you to make the album for the movie. So the soundtrack album for the movie that's going to come out of my novel, Starfire. And Ingo Swan, Stephen Halpern made a rock disco funk album that they put out. That was supposed to be the soundtrack for this movie that never happened for mm. a novel that was put out and then very shortly after was sort of pulped um, and was was shelved, I will say. Right. So it, it didn't it wasn't the publisher didn't push it um, around the same time. Andreej Pujeric was writing about the Geller kids, the space kids which were kids that were activated by um, seeing Yuri Geller on TV. They had psychokinesis, all this stuff. Um, it was claimed to be a global phenomena. And he wrote a book about it. That book was never published. You can find information about it. You can find even listings in the publishers' magazines of the time. But it doesn't exist, as far as I know and as far as I can tell and as far as all the people that I've spoken to. Um, can tell this book never came out um so what i'm we're going to kind of all go on this journey through how did we get to a rock disco funk album by the pioneer of new age music with one of the founders of the government psychic spy program which embraces this concept of A psychic future right where we're all empowered by our our psychic abilities we've all achieved cosmic consciousness it's a call to action it's a call to turn on your drive your star drive to enter into that cosmic consciousness how did we get there from you know in the 1900s you know people sitting in a seance room and like holding hands right and and that kind of thing um and then where did it go right like what happened obviously no one knows (laughs) nobody knows about this album right like i mean people do it's a curiosity right but it didn't have the impact that they'd hoped um there's a lot of mythologizing of of this time period and what was going on um if they were such great like you know and and nefarious mind controllers Yet they couldn't even put out an album, right? Like you can get a kid on TikTok that can become a hit now, right? But like Ingo Swan and Stephen Halpern, leaders in their field, they couldn't put out an album, right? Like they couldn't get a movie deal. So, kind of go into that and and kind of look at the history of psychical research. You know, not we're not going to go into what I'll call the the boring blah 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 stuff, right? But like really kind of get to the core of that framed through this album and kind of what happened to the album, how the album came apart, what things led, led into this stream. Right. Cause Steven Halpern is channeling his music, right. He has a download that he's going to create the music of the future. There's so many layers to this thing. Um, and we're kind of going to use that as a jumping off point to explore the current time period. Right. And like, what went wrong then, what can go right now? What are the misperceptions of that time period you know what it what's been mythologized like how can we look at that and tease out some of the truth of what was going on um away from the paranoia away from the the mythologizing away from that you know and and uh celebrate this freaking album because it's the star children album steven halpern just released a a remastered version of it Mm -hmm. it's eight bucks on his website you know People should go out and buy it and listen to it prior to coming to this thing. They may not enjoy it. It's not everybody's tastes. I love it. Um, Chris Corey loves it. Um, you know, so yeah, I'm just going to really dive into that. I mean, the psychic, the, the space kids thing is so fascinating. There's so much myth. Again, it's just people are paranoid about kids being experimented on. You if you dig into it, if you look into it, right? Like obviously any of these topics you can look into and you can build your little puzzle, right? Like you can take the puzzle box. It's got Notre Dame on the front of it. You open it up, dump out the pieces, make a blobby dog out of it and say, look, I made a dog. It's a dog, right? Cause I arranged all these pieces and it's a dog and the cover is Notre Dame and it's supposed to look like Notre Dame, but you say it's a dog because you've made this abstract looking dog blob, right? We can do that with all this stuff um i'm gonna make my own dog blob in this presentation um which avoids the paranoia avoids the that kind of stuff and actually tries to make something functional out of the history of this thing um you know and, and see kind of what's going on and again with the, the space kid stuff like what what was that like were kids really like suddenly spoon bending because they saw gallery on tv um if they were where's all that data right like there's all these studies It's published. Other stuff's published. Where is it? Where's the book? Andrej Pujaric's kids have his material. They put out a lot of archival stuff. Do they have this manuscript? Is it in their hands? We don't know. Why? Because everybody talks about this stuff and they make up stories about it, but nobody contacts his kids. Why? Like what are, you know, so that's, that's kind of like where we're going to, we're going to dance around these things. I haven't contacted his kids either. So I'm also, you know, blaming myself here but um yeah so that's going to be you know star children psychic futures we're going to get into it we're going to dive into it it's going to be a conversation i'm sure people will have have things to say about that um you know but again i love that album and i'm very happy to be able to uh use that album as kind of a, a hub on which we can we can build a wheel and roll into uh you know the psychic future got to talk about Stephen halpern like this is an opportunity like new age music sure but this guy i mean the so starborn suite is off of um gifts of the angels which is his compilation of all the music that he feels was guided by other forces when he was doing it right when he was creating it and flashes of light would happen when he was making this music. He learned how to make the music through channeling. Um, I mean, it's, it's very, very complicated. The album itself is called Star Children.
3: Mm-hmm. Turn on your drive.
2: You're going to, to really focus in on.
3: That's awesome. Using, using that to really capture that, that cultural moment of like this unrealized cosmic future. Well, we're really looking forward to it, David. Um, are yeah, it gonna, sounds
1: super fascinating. It really
3: does. This is going to be the second of these streaming events Yep. Um, with the Strange Realities branding. And uh, we really uh, want to thank you for uh, being a part of it. I think this is going to be a lot of fun and uh, give people access uh, to hanging out and talking afterwards and, um, any questions that they have. And, um, so this is, it's not, it's being re-released, but it's not on any kind of streaming services yet. He's only offering it through his website.
2: No, it's on streaming services as well. You can get it off all the major streamings, uh, Spotify, YouTube, the whole deal.
3: Excellent. So in preparation for that, we'll start sharing that so everyone can, can check it out and experience it. And maybe you can provide some, uh, guidelines for the best way to,
2: the best uh, listening, uh, yeah the best listening experience you can have with star children yeah i mean i really like i don't know have you guys listened to it yet mm-hmm. and, I have not. And, oh adam come on man chris and i have both like hard hard ranted about this stuff like for what like a year now you haven't you haven't partaken in the star children yet adam? you're gonna have to listen to it
1: soon i just found it here it is it's actually under Ingo Swan. You look at, you can look it up under Ingo Swan. Yeah, I will definitely I will definitely listen to it.
2: Yeah. And and like I said, I mean be prepared because it's gonna challenge you. All of our contemporary like um appreciation of music is challenged by it, I think.
1: Is there any reason why they did a forty fourth anniversary edition? Is there some numerology going on there?
2: There may be. I'm not sure. Um so Stephen Halpern said that he was going to write the backstory on his website about it, but it was pretty brief. Um, so my friend Dave, uh, who works with East West bookshop and puts on events there. Um, he's trying to schedule Stephen to come on and talk about the album for an event. He so was, made, he
3: did one before, right? I think yeah, I he did. About yeah.
2: his, his production um, stuff and, and uh, the, the ways that he takes out the rhythm in order to to create flow in that, um, but we're hoping to have him come on and do something that's specifically on this album because it's so fascinating. Um, I mean, at this conference, like I asked Ed May about it, you know, because Ed May was around the the program at the time. Like I'm just <laughs> completely like fascinated by this album because the Starfire, um, the Starfire book is a novelization that makes you just go what what on earth were you thinking like it's the novelization that like you do not write when you're in a classified program you know i mean it's just like what on earth was ingo swan thinking and then to to put out this album which is this like utopian vision and so the one of the the weird things about this album is that In the novel Starfire, he has these little snippets of lyrics from the main character uh, Daniel Merriweather, who's like this super psychic, right? Um, And those snippets of lyrics appear on the album, so it is like this—you know—this album that's tied to the Starfire book that was going to be tied to a movie. But when you hear the album, like I can't imagine from a like a producer standpoint or a director standpoint, like I can't picture even in the late seventies, how this album would then translate to a movie, you know, like it just doesn't, if you, you know, it doesn't, there's, there's disconnects and the album itself is like really upbeat and like really like, um, in your face kind of like positive vibes. And the novel's not like that at all. Like the novel's actually like fairly like dark and like and and disturbing, you know. So again, like just the, the it's such a fascinating like moment in history that um, obviously no one's really delved into because who cares? And that's why I think it's important to delve into it. Like Philip K. Dick said, uh, you know, symbols of the divine appear in the trash stratum, mm-hmm. right? So like. I think that this isn't, an, and not not calling this, I love Stephen Halpern's music and stuff. So I don't mean that in a negative way, but it is, it's a, but for yeah. most people, it's a cultural curiosity that, you know, they wouldn't look twice at. So
3: what's perceived as camp can really occult things.
2: Yeah. Stephanie Quick, actually, she said that, like, she was like, oh, well, I would listen to it, but I don't listen to novelty music. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa stephanie let's let's take a step back here and like reconsider what we've just said because this is not novelty music like this is like a whole different thing she meant it as a joke to poke me because she knows that um i'm obsessed with this album but it it made me think i was like you know most people do look at this as a novelty album and i mean it's this is this is the the like rock opera that came out of the psychic warfare program you know what i mean like that's weird
3: and the movie could have been like a a new age psychic Saturday Night Fever, pretty much.
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's like it's exactly like the kind of like feeling that like comes off this. Like it would just have been like what, like what, and and at the same time, right? Like this is a, this is what's sitting on top of a classified program. Like that's crazy. This isn't like um, what's that? What's the Scorpion song? Winds of Change, right? Like oh, yeah. which was, yeah. which was written in the Cold War as sort of a psyop in Eastern Europe. Like this isn't Winds of Change. You know what I mean? Like, there's no, like, unless you're into it, you're not going to be into it. And so like, just the idea that this, this is what like emerged from that, like that's amazing to me. And there's other examples of it too. I mean, there's um, 30 days to mystical experience, which was put out by uh, one of the guys that was in the remote viewing program. And he did a whole series of books um, that were like these 30 days to, you know, X, um. And, uh, again, like when you, even as like a, as a popular, you know, like, okay, there's going to be a sci-fi, but we're going to make this popular, like it doesn't even work like that. Right. And so, and this is what I'm saying, like this demythology demythologizing this stuff, because like when you actually look at the output, the cultural output, right. Like it does not match up with the, like the spooky story. You know what I mean? It just does not and like it doesn't match up even if you want to say that they were trying to hide some nefarious thing behind this thing that doesn't look like it was nefarious star children is not the album that you would put out right like that's not it you know like get david bowie or something yeah it's not going to be star children Uh-oh. you know so i mean that like
1: i did want to mention david uh before we stop that you're the winbridge institute scholar and in vit- virtual residence now
2: Yes. Yeah. That was, uh, that was awesome. I was very honored to, to be, to be brought into that. Um, so, uh, it's an opportunity to get more in depth with the parapsychology at a serious level. Obviously I've been covering it and and publishing and, um, co-authoring pieces with people. Um, but this was, uh, yeah, this is like an officiation, uh, an initiation of my actual, um, you know sort of moving in into that at uh, in a more at a higher level
3: congratulations because you had been the editor-in-chief of their threshold Journal of interdisciplinary consciousness studies
2: correct yeah that one that's through the Winbridge Research Center which is which is an off an offshoot of the Winbridge Institute um, and it, it you know, honestly like it's it is such an honor because I Mark is my friend, Mark Bacuzzi, who's one of the co-founders. Like I, I appreciate him as a friend, but honestly, like his work in parapsychology is just some of the coolest like stuff. Like he is, he's a, like a maker, you know, in terms of like, like a hacker maker, right. Like making like these side devices, um, building these tools. Um, and he's just doing these really cool experiments, which is just I'm always enjoy when Mark is like, I'm doing this thing because I know it's going to be like, just, it's just going to be cool. It's going to be amazing. I mean, his throne of the Sphinx stuff where he's got like <laughs> this, like jacked up, like uh, set of random number generators, just like feeding into each other. And then asking it questions and it gives you answers. He's got it hooked up to this chatbot thing and this, you know, and he's building all this stuff himself to do these experiments. Winbridge, you know, is one of the leading, if not the leading, um, groups that are looking into mediumship, which is one of the hardest things to test in parapsychology. You know, people like the the presentiment stuff that Dean Radin does um, and that uh, Daryl Bem did as much kickback as that stuff gets mediumship, like, you know, that's way out there and they're doing it in a rigorous strict way um, and really trying to like bring science to the question, which is incredibly hard because you, and with mediumship, like the question immediately arises, is this precognition? Is this some sort of, you know, clairvoyance or transmission of thought um, that they're getting this information from? Are they pulling it from, some conscious field right like we don't we don't even know right so or is it or is it actually a sign of someone who's died so all of those things need to be when you're experimental design you need to take in all these things and so they're they're absolutely brilliant it's he and his wife julie Baishel, um who won um the she won one of the one tier of the bigelow uh Institute for Consciousness Studies prize essay prizes. Um, so, Julie, you know, a recognition of her work as being at the top of the field as well, that she won um, one of the Bigelow prizes. Um, and so, you know, to be the scholar and virtual residence for the Winbridge Institute for me personally is just it's humbling and, and just amazing. Super excited for that. And I'm able to, you know, hopefully I can do, <laughs> Hopefully I can, I can not embarrass the field and, and, and help to, uh, you know, bridge gaps.
1: We think you'll, we, we think you'll do fine, David. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, David. This has been awesome. We're going to continue this, uh, discussion a little bit more on Patreon for you guys, but we should say that this presentation is going to be available for our patrons ten dollars and up but also there will be a link to the eventbrite page if you want to pay a one-time that will be put on to this episode in the show notes so guys you take advantage of that if you just don't want to become a patreon uh which i don't know why you wouldn't but uh because you do get a lot of extra stuff but if you do not want to do that that is available to join us on Friday night, March 25th, for Star Children and Psychic Futures with David Metcalf. And uh, David, if you could tell everybody where they could find you and uh, what uh, what's coming up next.
2: Oh uh, yeah. Um, so I will. Uh, I mean, coming up next is Star Children and Psychic Futures, which everyone should should sign on for. Absolutely, they should. Um, you can find me on Twitter at. David B. Metcalf, uh, with an E on the end of it. Um, that's where if I publish something on the, on the, these days, uh, off, you know, sort of infrequent, uh, times that I do that appears on there or, you know, try to, to spark conversations in that. Um, I honestly, like I'm in like a crash landing mode from this conference. So I'm, there's a lot of stuff sort of like kicking around underneath, um, I'm just sort of trying to recenter myself uh, and get, go forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, October uh, October of this year, I believe, is when um, we're going to have the UFO Outsider and folk art show at the Athens Clark County Library. Um, my friend Tex and I, Tex Crawford. Um, so if anyone is in the Athens area and uh, feels so inclined. Um, I'll probably be posting more about that once I get um, solidified on dates and names and that kind of thing. But Tex Crawford um, is an awesome folk artist. He's a a treasure to the Athens community and um, he has a wide uh, network of folk art and outsider art friends. So um, it should be an amazing show. Um, I'm going to try to figure out how to present that in a way uh, with photos and that, so people can see it online as well. Um, but all of that is to be worked out. So those are those are the things that I will be doing. And also, you know, the Windbridge thing, um, starting to work much closer with them right now to try to figure out, again, just this question of uh, conversations in the public space. How do we do that? So find me on Twitter, and uh, the links will flow from there
1: Excellent, thank you so much, David. This has been great, Um, guys. Join us on the Patreon side, come as well. All right, I think that's it for this episode. Um, If you want to become a Patreon, Surfiel can tell you where to find that.
3: You can go to patreon.com slash conspiranormal where you can become a conspiranormalist and join the International Association of Conspiranormalists Uh, for $5 and up. You get an extra episode every week, uh, which will include this continuing conversation with David for $10 and up. You get to join the Mystic crew and are invited to attend all these strange reality streaming events every month. And for $20 and up, you get to enter the ancient circle of strange realities, uh, get some exclusive t-shirts and other goodies, as well as all the previously mentioned benefits. That is at patreon.com slash conspiranormal. All
1: right, guys. Uh, Remember a conspiranormal YouTube page that's still up there. Go. If you like the show, give us a, a subscription on there. We'd really appreciate it. And uh, I think that's it. Next week, we will be back. We're going to be talking about Shakespeare. So (laughs) we'll talk to you next time on Conspiranormal.
0: becoming a patreon at www.patreon.com conspiranormal or leave a one-time donation at conspiranormal.com and please check out our youtube channel conspiranormal podcast